Welcome into the DNVR Gaming Podcast brought to you by WGT Golf, the most realistic free golf game loved by more than 20 million players around the world. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. Joining me are AJ Hayfley and Nathan Rudo Rudolph. Very excited to be talking about some Final Fantasy VII Remake today, but that's also going to lead into a much larger conversation about remakes in general, episodic content, DLC. This has been an ongoing conversation in gaming really throughout the last decade. It continues to evolve. And the game we're going to dive into today has an incredibly interesting role to play in all of it. It's going to be a fascinating thing to talk about. So I'm excited to jump into that. Just before we do, though, we're, we're not going to have an old game. That's that's such a big conversation. We're not going to review an old game, though. I did want to check with you, fellas. You getting any better at the WGT? I mean, it was a low bar to improve, but yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to work my way towards par, but we're still putting up black numbers and not red. So we're getting there, but, you know. To be honest, I haven't played it. Brutal. Yeah, I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting for the tournament this weekend because I want to gauge my progress over time, and I'm just going to use the tournaments as my means of doing so. Perfect. Yeah, I um, also have remained okay. I'm getting closer to par as well. Uh, the short game. Needs some work, but I'm figuring out how to use the, the, the preview putt thing where it gives you the, the you got to use that every single time. You know, I, I want to get hot shot. Think I'm close enough. I got this. You've got to preview your putt every time. Just to yeah. warn you, I'm 90% sure you do not get putt preview in the tournament. Oh, no, I'm terrible. I'm going to lose. <laughs> so it's going to be brutal. Gotta learn. <laughs> yeah, I because uh, our first sponsorship with them was all about the closest to the whole challenge. I feel like my short game is like solid, but on the green itself, no, sir. We, I, I would very generously describe it as a work in progress. A bunch of tea to green players right <laughs> here. <laughs> I feel I feel like Happy Gilmore with the hockey stick, just back and forth. <laughs> like, with no feel for, for it whatsoever. The WGT putting is just hard. I, for whatever reason, I'm just not. I don't have a feel for it. And I've played a lot of golf games in my life, and, and I've always kind of been okay at them. This one just, <clears throat> nope, it makes me feel bad about myself. This is, I wanted to get the ball in the hole. It just wouldn't go. <laughs> I don't understand why it hates me. I swear putting downhill in that game is impossible. You just tap it and let it like, go. Yeah, like if you, you have to leave the ball below the hole or you're screwed, man. Yeah. It'll roll way on by that thing. I've, I've had a few happy Gilmore situations myself. But the thing is, at the end of it, you can't pull a guy's hockey jersey over his head and pull on his arms and punch him in the face to get the frustration out. Like <laughs> You don't want to do it anyway because Bob Barker will make you look bad on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Barker will teach you a lesson. All right, let's 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 jump right into it without... Much more ado. This is a big conversation here. And so let's begin with the game itself before we open up the can of worms that is DLC remakes and episodic content. Um, uh, I Unfortunately, or uh, depending on who you are, we'll have to do the lion's share of the talking here because I'm the one that's spent a great deal of time in the game. Uh, so you guys jump in whenever you've got questions for me. I can run through our rubric pretty quickly though, because we reviewed the original final fantasy seven on our debut podcast. It was our first one, right? Yeah. Yes. And a lot of these questions are going to be the same, like the 60 second synopsis. It's a remake of the game we reviewed on episode one. There's your synopsis. Uh, <laughs> if, if you want uh, more than that, we'll get into what that word remake really means when it comes to this in a minute, though. 
Um, recommended four. Again, if you enjoyed the original, you're, you're going to be recommended for this. New fans, too, I can recommend it for. Not recommended for anyone who doesn't like RPGs. Basically, that's who it's, it's very similar to the original in terms of who you would and wouldn't recommend it for. <clears throat> and then we get into uh, some of our other conversations here. And, and I'll start with the MVP and open up the conversation this way because... There's a lot going on in the Final Fantasy VII remake, but what's amazing to me, and, and I'll describe it this way, is I felt multiple times playing this as, as a remake of one of my favorite games of all time that I'm very familiar with. Like, I was stand, like if I'd been standing, if you could have teleported me into the world of the original with all of its PlayStation 1 graphics and its polygons and set me right next to the characters. I almost feel like I could stand there and watch the world become the PlayStation 4 modern technological beast that it is today. It felt so completely the feel, capturing the feel of the original while still imbuing it with a ton of original content. Uh, I think it was an absolute masterwork. And for me, the, that's the MVP of this, is the recreation of something people are intimately familiar with and doing justice to that. That was the, the tallest task in front of them, and they accomplished it. What What has been the most surprising part of the remake for you, good or bad? I think the most surprising part is how much extra stuff that's in there that didn't feel in any way like fluff, other than perhaps the way that it's set up, because modern games have this sort of open world mechanic, whether they're open world or not. And this really isn't. It's it's pretty linear in terms of your ability to explore. But the, from time to time, they give you just like a whole slew of side quests you can go do. And it's like, okay, great. There's going to be a bunch of monster hunts, a bunch of fetch stuff, a bunch of stuff that really doesn't have anything to do with the main story or whatever. And I found all of it to almost all of it. There were one or two. I was like, okay, that was just fun and silly, and that's okay too. But it enriched the experience of characters that were like in the original, but maybe had one or two lines of dialogue. Now there are entire side quests around that character. Or, you know, so just stuff like that, it really did blow me away where I was like, okay, am I going to skip all these side quests because it's fluff? It's like, no, I want to know what's going on with all of these people because I just want to find out more about this world. And it all felt like it could have been there in the original. The only reason it wasn't was because of technical limitations. Uh, good to know that we all play RPGs that way where uh, I'll get to the main storyline. Don't worry. Let me do all of my team's stories first. <laughs> Uh, you, I'm. I, I know there are people in this world that exist that do this, but the people who are in a hurry to play through the main storyline missions confuse me. Yeah, I don't understand. There is a world built for you to explore, and there are side quests to do. And like this was one of the things that about the original Mass Effect that did not hold up well. But when you go back and you play it, and it's still like look, these are going to be reskinned, and this is going to kind of suck, but, like, this is still worth doing. You still have to do this in order to maximize the experience. How much of that is true in your second go-round in, in FF7 with a remake, with, with a reimagined version of the game? How much of the things that you didn't like about the original have changed? That's maybe even a better answer to the first question you asked me was in playing this, and you used a word there, really a probably a better word for what this is, is a reimagination of the game. It's like they've rethought the game from the ground up. And there were things that I had never really considered mistakes in the original or things that didn't make a ton of sense where... There was just never a reason given. There, and, and this was kind of a thing in Final Fantasy games for a long time. Sometimes stuff just happens. And there's, <laughs> you know, and you just, just kind of, yeah, okay, uh, there's enough magic and enough. And so this game goes out of its way to be like, 
here's a little nuanced behind the scenes reason uh, behind the scenes reason easy for me to say why x character feels y way and you didn't need to know it but knowing it doesn't take away from the experience or cheapen it either i'll, I'll give one example there there's a character who's a part of the team in the original game very famously this is early on in the game so spoilers so i'm not gonna say the name but there's a character who dies. And you know if you've played the game before, this character is going to die. And one of the new side quests involves you visiting her family home and meeting her mother and her father, who did not exist in the original game. And there is such a weight to this really sweet scene with this family that you know, slightly because of your actions, is going to end up without their child. Uh, not child, but anyway. Um, so yeah, it's just, I really have been blown away by, by those kinds of things. So I guess you've already answered this, but maybe you could put a number on it or something of, or a percentage. How much of this game is a remaster versus a remake? Because obviously all the graphics have been improved, but how much of the story is the same or what percentage of new content is there in comparison? What's amazing to me is like they took very little out. Um, so most of how the original game played out is exactly the same. There's just a ton of extra stuff on top of it. So it's almost, I would say, a 50-50 experience. Or there are times where they'll like mash events a little bit closer to each other. Or um, they'll make reference to things that are going to happen way in the future with a wink and a nod at people who've played the game before. And if you know, you know, if you don't, it's just a mystery. Um, but it really is kind of a 50, 50 experience, but it's not that the new stuff has replaced what was in the original and changed it. There's very little of that. It's crazy. Most of it's just like they threw a bunch of stuff on top of it. And I would say 90% of what they threw on top of what was already there makes perfect sense. So it, it's almost like the expanded universe of FF7 that they wanted to create and just couldn't before. It that really is how it feels, and I'm you know obviously I'm giving this game an incredibly glowing review, but uh, there's a lot of things that have been remade for people like for me, very for people my demo right. Us, the, I'm turning 33. I got 34 around the corner. I'm getting nostalgic for the 90s. So they're going to remake Aladdin and The Lion King. And I've gone to see all of them. And they're mostly fine. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, I actually thought was really good because they added some stuff in there and they changed some things up. It, like Lion King was almost a one-to-one -one remake, right? And I enjoyed it. I was like, oh, this again, but shinier. Cool. Uh, that was not the experience you get with Final Fantasy VII. It was like... I'm in this world again, but this seems like how it was always supposed to be. Uh, it, I've I've never seen a remake or a reimagining of something quite like this. The closest I think I could really compare it to is seeing kind of the modern comic book movies and the way they've taken um, some of these familiar stories and, and changed them to bring them to the big screen, but stayed so true to the heart and soul of it we don't even care about the little things that they change. Or some of the changes are awesome, and we're just into it. You mean like the Infinity Gauntlet storyline, where they cut out the part where Thanos had a love affair with Death? I was going to say, they cut out, like, the second most important character in that storyline. Are those movies still dope? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're, they're still fun. And, and it's just knowing more about it, you're kind of like, this is different. If I was to extend that analogy, I would say FF7 Remake doesn't cut out death in the Thanos plotline, but rather it includes death in every other scene in the plotline <laughs> to make sure, like, it really hammers home stuff that was in the original that maybe maybe was a bit subtler in the original. And again, is that because they couldn't do as much? You know, if you're trying to get into some critiques here... Um, there are some really lame ones that are true that are online that are just like some of the textures are weird. Like there are rocks and doors that look flat. Like, okay. Um, I think some of the music decisions were strange, but mostly the soundtrack is pretty phenomenal. Um, but it would be some of those things. I think there is 
in a desire to go super blockbuster, some of the subtlety of the original, especially in the early going, uh, does get lost. I think it's replaced by other things that are mysterious and subtle and interesting. But there were some things that like very famously in this game, the, originally the main uh, villain kind of isn't revealed to you until basically after the plot that this game covers. It's also not the entire game. I think most people know that at this point. Um, and in the reimagining, Sephiroth is just all over the place. And so it's, you know, it's it, it's definitely different and you lose some subtlety in that way. Uh, but I think enough is gained in other ways that I, I didn't mind. Okay. I mean, honestly, that's really encouraging to me um, that you liked it, especially from a nostalgia factor, because I've been afraid of a lot of remakes of games because I want to remember the game as it was. So, like, when something gets called a remaster, it usually piques my interest a little bit more because generally remaster means, hey, we stayed as close to the original game as possible, we just updated the graphics, basically. And generally there's a certain way I want to remember those games, but if you found that much entertainment in a game that stayed true to it and added content, that's encouraging to me. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't dislike remasters and, and more one-to-one. So like I said, I even enjoyed the Lion King movie and that like almost line to line screen to screen is a remake of the original. They even have the same guy voicing Mufasa. Like they, they didn't even recast one of the parts. <laughs> Um, you know, so, but I, but I can still dig it, but there's so much more to be gained. I feel like out of an experience like this, when done well, you, it's a, it's a risk and they have alienated people. I will say there are some people who are really upset about the way it ends, uh, which I, you know, is a bit ambiguous and we're not going to spoil here. Um, maybe the place where they took the sharpest turn in terms of difference from the original, um, but even having the game end before going on with the rest of the plot, it was going to have to be different. But yeah, I mean, if there's a big chance that could be the other big risk, you know, here just for personal taste, there are going to be people who don't like what they've changed or who had certain interpretations of the original. That's another thing is like, you could put a lot of your own interpretations on these original characters weren't quite as well fleshed out once you start giving them more specific personalities for some people it's not gonna jive with what they believed that character to be like but i will say just hanging out on like final fantasy twitter yes that's a thing um overwhelmingly positive responses on that front in terms of their interpretation of the characters and whether or not they all feel true to the original but of course there are going to be those who just feel like the whole, because it wasn't a one-to-one remake, there are going to be people who feel like it's just All different right. and it makes them feel bad. Be honest, how many people are shipping Cloud and Barrett on Final Fantasy VII Twitter? <laughs> Not nearly enough. Not nearly <laughs> enough. <laughs> oh, Cloud and Barrett forever. I, I still really hope in the next part you can take the two of them on a date. But like little things like that, like they kept all those little mechanics. And that that's the thing that's the craziest to me. There's a lot of stuff they could easily left out of this game and said, you know what? This doesn't really belong in a modern game. It was such a 1997 mechanic. They're like, well, fine, let's turn it into a 2020 mechanic. then. So let's do the squat game and let's do all this extra, like all the little things that were in there. Let's just make it bigger. <laughs> and for the most part, I, I think it works. Uh, I got to think of the game as an athlete. Give me any other questions. Let's see if I can come up with this game as an athlete. Someone who's totally reinvented them. Ray Bork. Because <laughs> I kind of know who that is right now. I, I, I don't know. He'd been the same dude his whole career, I think. Yeah. I was like, just, what just about winning later for a long time. Oh! That's a that's a good one. If you just sort of take out the the reason for the middle part for the lull right. in the middle, <laughs> but if you just yeah, if you just sort of say there was a time this was the best. Well, yeah, there was the- Mike Mike Vick his first time around was revolutionary in the NFL, 
And then obviously everything went down. He was no longer in the NFL. And then he came back and had a great second act. Yeah. And, and I will say though, I, I, the first time we talked about this game, I argued with both of you a bit, I think about whether or not final fantasy had really lost its mojo over the last decade. That's a thing that a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, but it has, I will it, if it's mojo is they set the standard for the entire RPG landscape, then, then you're right. They had, they had lost their mojo. They, they were not, you know, I still think final fantasy 15 was a pretty damn good game. If you want to include MMOs, Final Fantasy XIV is one of the best games in the world that you can play right now. So that's the big, that's the big caveat to the argument that they've lost their mojo. But if you're talking, they set the standard for console role playing games. They hadn't done that arguably since Final Fantasy XII, and that was in 2004 or something like that. This game puts them back on top. Boy. I don't know I mean, if it this, puts them back on top, but it definitely it, they are right in the mainstream eye again for sure. So the thing that I think it's going to have its immediate impact on is what comes next. Yep. The success of this could lead to like diehard Mass Effect fan. Mass Effect 1 has not held up well over time could 100% use this level of remastering. Just repolish, go over, go give it several coats of paint, some serious polish, some rethinking of certain systems in the game. Just make it and keep the core of the game together. Flush out some cool things that you couldn't do back then. Get rid of some of the, some of the stuff that you didn't need so much. Just give me more than one voice line for, I'm Commander Shepard, and this is the best podcast on the Citadel. <laughs> that was two. Was it two? Okay, my bad. Oh, Doesn't, I mean, it was, you, could, you could do some form of that in all of them. Yeah. I was going to say, you could, you could remake the whole original <clears throat> series, and there's lots of things. I mean, and it, and it does give, I think, more leeway. I know Resident Evil has gone through this a little bit. Those are a little more direct. In terms of their, you know, mostly just a new coat of paint and some some game mechanic updates, but yeah, and, and I know there are some people who really don't like that idea. That the I, you know, the concept being, come up with a new idea, quit remaking old games. I, you hear this with Square a lot too. Stop remaking your old games. Give us Final Fantasy sixteen. So I think that's really that's that's where the cost of making big budget games really comes into it is that original IPs are a huge risk now you look at look at what happened with anthem you know that mm-hmm. totally really cool concept lots of hype falls flat on its face ends up costing tons of money yeah for a studio that had done good, had done very good work for a long time, um, and and now is like blacklisted, like you don't even want to touch anything that they make anymore. Original IPs are a huge financial risk, and so that's tough. Making Final Fantasy sixteen, I mean, it's Final Fantasy sixteen. Yeah, I. I am very much a person on board the idea that game series should have an endpoint. There should be a point where that's the end of the series. And I understand from a financial standpoint, it's much, much easier to just keep those series going and things like that. And Final Fantasy is in its kind of own special area where Final Fantasy is just a title and the stories at times are just completely unrelated to each other in every way. Um But, like, Halo, for example, there should never have been a Halo after Halo 3. Should have been the last one. That should have been the story of the game. That's it. Well, the it. big thing, when Bungie stopped making Halo, they should have stopped. Yeah. I, yes. Right. Like, all the Reach and all the ones... ODST where you, and, yeah, and just moving over to 343 and, like, making you're just all these different games. slapping like, the Halo name on that to sell copies. Like, that's all you're well, doing. This was the problem that I had with Bioshock 2 and why I refused to ever 
touch it and come within a thousand miles of that stank ass was I'm not touching Bioshock 2 because it didn't need to exist. Bioshock 1 was an absolute masterpiece. And Bioshock 2 was predominantly trying to capitalize on the multiplayer craze that was going on at the time and its namesake. And that was it. Yep. Once they got back to the core of the game and then and and like remembered what made Bioshock special, they went out and made Infinite, which I haven't played, but by and large, everybody the the, the mass the vast majority of people agree it's a very high quality game. That oh, does I like Bioshock, Bioshock 2 well. way more than Infinite. I'm way more into Bioshock 2 than Infinite, but it doesn't I didn't surprise me. But I, I didn't. I mean, I didn't know that I was. Uh, first of all, I didn't. I never touched the multiplayer, and I didn't. So I didn't care about any of that part. I just really, really love the story of Bioshock Two, um, probably even more than Bioshock One. But I, I mean, that's just that, 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 was, that was just a personal preference, I guess. But um, that, that that's why I try not to get overly wrapped up in like one. So a great game series to talk about in this realm of. You know, are, are we taking advantage of names? Are we remaking? Are we, are we spinning off too much? Is Kingdom Hearts. Because that was something that you could argue, and in fact, I don't, I don't know that there's any other way to argue, that it was a cynical thing to do in the first place for Square and Disney to get together and be like, you like Final Fantasy? You like Disney movies? We're going to mash them together and you're going to buy it. And it's like, yeah. But also, those games, games are incredibly original, um, super creative. Uh, have often been at the forefront of of pushing certain mechanics in the game industry. So I I just try not to get wrapped up too much in whether or not game companies or movie companies or television companies are doing something, you know, there's, for cynical cash grab reasons. As long as it's good, I there's I, always a limit, though, right? Because yeah. Kingdom Hearts one and two, great. You had a story yeah. to tell, but you start getting into three, and it feels like all right, they're just cramming as many Disney characters as they can into this series now. Well, I mean, and like again, they also if you make a good game, you make story. a good game. Sure, because you look at you look at the most recent Smash Brothers. The roster is like sixty five characters. This is a game that started with eight playable dudes, and it right. came basically on the idea of like a bar conversation of oh, who would win in a fight between Pikachu and Kirby, yeah. and then they it just built off of that, and now they've got basically every Fire Emblem character that you've ever heard of, and a few that you definitely haven't. And it's just like it's it's this massive franchise, but the game is still so good that it's like eh, I'll allow it. Yeah, right. If it's still a good game, you get away with a whole lot more. We'll put it that way. Right, and well, that's that's why I, I struggle with these conversations because it seems like sometimes people want to argue that you know whether it's DLC or remaking something or making something episodic, that it's just bad in principle, that it is fundamentally a terrible cash grab thing to do. And so you have to do it the right way though, you have to have a proper approach. And this is yep. where, when you get into the episodic stuff, this is where telltale games separated themselves because they were able to tell unique stories in distinct episodes. And they did it at a high quality. Like, a very, very cool way to tell those stories. I mean, until they ran their company into the ground, but... Sure, but part of that is because they paid a lot of money for really high-priced licenses so that they could make really high-profile games. Like, you go and you play some of of their their original stuff that, you know, like The Wolf Among Us versus Mm. making 17 Batman iterations. Right. Like which what what was what was a a better approach for them right you know because like the game of thrones one i loved the game of thrones game i did not even remotely enjoy the guardians of the galaxy game i didn't play it yeah that's kind of a problem yeah and and that was so you would be their exact target audience like right Comic book dude that loves to play games and really loves deep and enriched stories, and they couldn't they couldn't even get you to buy the game. That's that's a problem. Like that was a problem. That was a different thing. But Telltale did a really interesting job of telling stories and and having episodic content in a way that did not feel 
like capitalism at work? Yeah, well, so episodic content feels planned to be separated out this way, right? And mm-hmm. you get different and unique stories, and that's fine. It's when you get into DLC that a gaming franchise releases half a game, and then you have to buy the DLC to get the rest of the game. So this 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 is where gaming has lost me over the years. Yep. DLC good. Day one DLC bad. Correct. If you have day one DLC... I would like to stab you in the face. You're just money grabbing if you have day one DLC. <laughs> like, straight up, I... If I could bludgeon you, not to death, that's a little extreme, but <laughs> definitely, like, some light maiming, I'm good with that. <laughs> because day one DLC is the scummiest thing. Make your damn game. Like, what about make your, the... Um... Make your game. Make it good. Polish it. Go through a proper QA process, you clowns. There's no reason. And EA, yeah. There's... Especially, you can delay a game. A it's process. okay. Delaying a game is not the end of the world. I swear to God, play your own game before you release it, EA. Oh, I'm pretty sure they do, and they just release it anyway. But... And like, go through a proper process, right? Day one DLC, it just is unacceptable to me. Like, you can have extra add-ons for deluxe editions and premium editions, and you can have night go- night vision goggles for the extreme edition of Call of Duty. Whatever. That's whatever. If somebody wants to pay $140 for some night vision goggles that they can't wear while they're playing the damn game, Whatever, that is their business. Enjoy that. As long as it's optional, right? Yeah. Right. Honestly. Like enjoy enjoy moving that for the rest of your life because you're dumb. Or because they're super cool. I kind of wish I had they're, them. pay for cosmetics <laughs> has always been fine to me. Right. That's a microtransaction. I don't mind. Yep. But like pay to win DLC that that changes stats and things, you know, and and enhances your abilities in games. Yeah. Get out yeah, my pocket, that, dude. It's just yeah. ridiculous. Yep. I bought your game, okay? Right. It's interesting. So the the boss is in the uh the Twitch channel here. He says Telltale Games felt like they were pumping out a ton of thoughtless licensed dot dot dot. Uh I didn't play them, but I felt like uh I didn't want to buy it like it was a dumbed down Lego licensed game. Okay, um, so yeah. Sort of true. At the end, the, yeah. The problem, the problem with Telltale was that by the end, like Rudo just said, a hundred percent, that is accurate. Early on, though, if you go and you play some of the early Telltale stuff, it's very good. Yeah. And like the Game of Thrones game was my favorite of the Telltale because they got all of the voice actors, they got all the actual actors from the show to come and voice their characters. Yeah, which was I've, something I could not get over in Guardians. It's actually, I mean, Telltale Games is a really sad story if you dive into it and like what was a small company bit off more than they could chew and hired right. a bunch of people and everyone was working like obscene hours and right. they had to cut a ton of corners and just reuse a bunch of stuff and their quality just tanked and well yeah. and right they were that was a company that got way ahead of itself with a really big idea yep and instead of taking the proper steps to build to that idea they they skipped steps they did not listen to mike malone and they, <laughs> they, they skipped went all from step two to step five they thought so that here. they were one day they they went from and okay hey we're a small indie developer with a cool idea and some popular titles and then the next day they thought they were naughty dog and you just can't do that. You have to build properly. It took Naughty Dog 25 years to become Naughty Dog. Right. And here's why I think what Square has done with the Final Fantasy VII remake is going to have... It, it can't have as big an impact on the industry as the original did. It's just not possible. But... I will disagree. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Well, okay. We'll, we'll extend that conversation. But... um. I think what they've done is taken the idea behind these Telltale games, 
but they've got the infrastructure that's been there since the late 80s. They've got the money that they've made over the years and from their built-in thing. And they don't have to go out and buy a license for Batman or Guardians of the Galaxy or Game of Thrones. They have Final Fantasy VII and six and eight and nine and 10 and all these other ones they can go back and do if they want now. And I hope they do at least a couple of them because there are a few more that really could use this. And now you're printing money, but not by, by using the, the capitalist part of it that like you were talking about at the very beginning, you kind of have to do that. Telltale, even this little independent company that had so many great creative ideas had to do to put something in front of, in front of people's faces that's comfortable and that they know they're going to like like we did with Final Fantasy VII. But then you still take risks inside of that and do interesting creative things inside of it. And I think it could be uh, a whole new wave because they, they can take those risks because if they sell 7 million copies of Final Fantasy VII Remake instead of 10, they're going to be fine. <laughs> True. Yeah, Square isn't exactly going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. They may not so be quite the same juggernaut that they were once upon a time, but they're still one of the name developers. That's still a developer that can show up to a gaming conference and have its own conference, like and have its own separate panel. Like it does, they do not need to throw a game into a PlayStation show to get it noticed. They can say, "Hey, we're Square. We're going to have our own show, and people will go to that." And they maintain that through a down year for their flagship series. I mean, they've done well with like Near and Persona and stuff like that. Uh, They've turned out some really good games and a couple of Final Fantasies, but there have only been until this one, two in the last decade. That was the other thing. I think that's maybe the biggest way they lost their mojo, which is not even making games to begin with. Um, There just weren't as many this last decade. But um, to get back into the episodic conversation, that's one of the things about this that had to be different. And some people, regardless of the fact that it really is like a 60-hour game that you can play and there's plenty to do and and it comes to... A conclusion while there's still more so it very much feels like an episode and it was announced as being episodic it is true that the original game was not set up to be paced that way and we don't know what the second episode is going to look like is it another 60 dollars game we're going to have to buy is it a 20 dollars dlc for the next chapter we have no idea what do you think about this concept of now making games that are complete games Big, huge $60 games that you'd be hard pressed to argue this isn't worth paying 60 bucks for that you don't get the same content you do for any other modern game. But it doesn't tell its full story, and the original wasn't designed that way. That's. It's, it's so hard to gauge that, though, right? Because you can have episode two that costs $60, and it's. 10 hours of gameplay and three more quests and you're going to feel gypped. Or you could have episode two and it's this all over again. Hundreds of hours of gameplay, a bunch of new content, and it'll feel worth it. it and obviously with the Final Fantasy VII, we don't know what's coming next yet. But there are many cases of both sides of that. Uh, some of the best DLC ever was the Borderlands series, who... I believe it was two or maybe it was three where the DLC for that game was essentially an entire new game. And it was yeah. amazing value and, and worth it in every way. But it's hard to trust a lot of these companies to come through on that. I just want best DLC I ever played. Uh, XCOM 2. War of oh. the Chosen. Because you play through XCOM 2 one way. And then when you get the War of the Chosen DLC, and I always recommend to people play through XCOM 2, the original, and then play through XCOM 2 with War of the Chosen DLC. Because what it did is it integrated. You have to start all over. There's no like continuation. Oh, hey, here you're going to start. Pick up from your old file where you already beat the game and saved the world from the aliens. You have to start over from the beginning of XCOM 2. But you play the game so differently because they added three different races that you can now add to your team. They added entire new skill sets. They added all kinds of new weapons, all kinds of... It's 
it plays totally differently. And you do not beat War of the Chosen without integrating all of the new stuff that they added into the DLC. Without all of those things, you're not beating that game. You just you will you will and you will not beat it. Just flat out. I mean, like if you play on the easiest difficulty in your clown shoes, you'll probably be fine. But if you play on any meaningful difficulty whatsoever, where you actually make decisions and you have real consequences, that DLC is perfection. It's $40 for a $60 game. So I paid $100 for XCOM 2, and I essentially got two completely fleshed out games. And that, to me, that was a masterclass in how how you do DLC. Because it... It was rewarding, and I never thought twice about it. I don't, I don't pay forty dollars for games on de- like hardly ever. I will wait, even on games I badly want to play. I will wait until they are deep on sale. And War of the Chosen, forty dollars day one, XCOM two, totally worth it, and a shining example of what DLC should be. It completely changes the original game while adding on to it and making it significantly better and more entertaining. There you have it. I was going to say we'd have to get you on. We got to get you to do a full review of it, but I feel like you almost basically just did. <laughs> it's great. That, yeah, that's awesome. It, it adds to the storyline, it adds to the difficulty, and its integration with the original game is so cool. Like it would be I would have to fire it up and like show you physically like oh hey here's here's war of the chosen here's war of the chosen it's not like oh hey i played a game and then they added on a bunch of stuff and now here's the separate game it's it's all integrated into it it's very cool it's not tacked on content it's right it's like it was always meant to be there but exactly and you can play when you load up xcom 2 and you have it you can actually choose do i want to play war of the chosen do i want to play the original because they're that different of experiences that's cool yeah, it walking That's a bit DLC of a walking a bit of a fine line there. Like, yes, that DLC is great, but for content that meshes that well, it needs to be a significant impactor. It can't it be. It can't be that. Oh, why wasn't this in the game originally? Why did I have to pay for this? It also yeah, can't the- be like like largely aesthetic stuff, right? Or like. You know, and say you're in an RPG, it can't just be like, oh, hey, here's some new weapons in the shops that you can buy and do different things with. It's got to have meaningful impact on the game beyond that. Yeah. It has to change the gameplay experience if you're going to integrate like that. Doesn't matter if I uh, if I went through with a Elvish longsword or a Daedric bow, like still killing the same dudes the same way, basically. <laughs> Right. So I, I don't know if either of you followed the drama of the DLC for Final Fantasy 15 that no. also exists in a very strange place in this whole category because what they did was like there are lots of places in that story where you kind of jump forward in time and it's it's built in to happen. And sometimes, you know, things happen and you're told about whatever happened while you were out. And then later on, some of the DLC were episodes that filled in what had gone on with some of the side characters. Like, okay, remember during this time when the main character was out? Well, side character X did a thing, and it's called Episode Ignis, and it's named after that character. Um, And boy, did it walk a fine-ass line between this very easily coulda, shoulda, woulda just been in the original game. Why was this not just here to begin with? And actually, no, it is cool. This is a little side story that wasn't there. It adds on. It, it might have slowed down the pacing of the original to jump away from the main plot and go do this side thing with this side person. Um, it, it, it really, I would say it probably split audiences 50-50 right down the middle between whether or not the DLC was cool extra story content that you just got to, to choose to add or whether or not Square had purposefully left out chunks of their game so that they could charge you $5 an episode for them later. Well, let me, how long did it take for it to come out? 
How long did it take for what to come? Oh, like the episodes, the and DLC. Stuff? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first one was out like um, two months after the game came out, I think, and then they kind of came out about like that a month or two after, and they kept coming out like that. That's super iffy <laughs> because two months tells me that they had that in mind. Yeah, they I, already I had, they already check, had the episode planned. They already had it ready to go in terms of. You know that they had already started working on the technical side of it and all of the different things that go into game development. You know that they'd already begun that work. So that to me says they released an incomplete game. That would that would that would frustrate me. That would frustrate me a lot. Yeah. I agree. See, and th- this is what I mean by it splitting audiences because yeah. I um one played the game with absolutely no knowledge that any of that was going to happen. And so I played through Final Fantasy 15, a uh, 50-hour experience that I enjoyed the hell out of. I completed it. I was like, man, Square got their swing back. Let's go. Only to find out, no, I'm not allowed to like this game. There was all this stuff that happened behind the scenes that I didn't know about. And now that there are these episodes, they should have been in the game originally. Now I'm supposed to feel like my original experience, I got cheated because I didn't have this stuff where I felt like, hey, they're giving me extra stuff. So, yeah. It's gonna, it's gonna split audiences with stuff like that because I, 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 I never felt like I got cheated out of my original experience. I mean, even again, it's even a, if they did it with cynical intentions, it's a fair it's a point. Fine a great game can have dirty, crappy ELC, DLC packed onto it. Like it, it I mean, happens Mass all Effect the time. Great example. Yeah, it happens all Mass, the time. Mass Effect too, if you try and go and get all the DLC from like. Oh, well, I've got to go get the Dorito DLC and the Dr. Pepper DLC. And they like, do it not. Was, it was. It was the dirtiest, like, just most awful exploitation of DLC. And I was like, look, I'm a Mass Effect guy. I'm a huge sucker. They can take all my money. It's fine. Whatever. I will go broke in defense of this stupid game. And it is so exploitive. And and it just it sucks. Dude. You know the worst offender of that, sucks. and and maybe if anyone plays these games that listens to this, I'm sorry, or you can explain it to me. But the the world of trains games and things like that, where you're essentially just buying a map, and then every single like different type of train is a different DLC that you have to pay for. Mm-hmm. I I don't get it. I just do not understand how those aren't just base models in the. I mean, they are base models in the game. You just have to pay for them. <laughs> So got the got the fiance planet zoo because she loves these like building sims sure. type games. DLC is like Ed Polar Bears. <laughs> and I'm like Yeah, that's awful. I'm like, this is so dirty. I don't like this. I don't like that's this so at bad. all. Like, no, 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 no. They are gonna constantly be reaching into that pocket. Trying to be like, oh. Well, now I mean, now that you got the polar bears, now you got to get the snow leopards, right? And and it just that's like that's how it starts, and then people buy it, and it's like, okay, well, this this paid for itself. We're just going to continue to do this, and that's where that's where DLC really, I it really I really struggle with it. DLC needs to be something that like, hey, we made a game, we poured everything we had into it, we still had ideas, we still continued to work on it. And then we went back and we made this game better. Here's the DLC. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> that would be a nice world uh, to live in. But uh, I did want to, before closing out, we may have a few more thoughts on this. I just want, I didn't want to lose, AJ, your thought on, you had just mentioned, you think that this version of Final Fantasy VII could have as big an impact on the industry as the original. That's a That's a high bar to jump over. Right. So the reason that I say that is because uh, nostalgia is such a huge driving force in all forms of media right now. Old, good, new, bad is very much something that gaming, I mean, look at, look at how gaming graphics have taken a purposeful step backwards. Indie companies stopped trying to push the limits and started making 16-bit style, art style games because they could, because people liked playing them. Because Some of people them are really wanted good. that feeling. They wanted you go and you look at a game like Time Spinner, a really, really interesting platformer with a lot of cool modern day mechanics, purposely 
I think it came out in 2019, 2018, has an old school look to it because that's the that's the it's trying to sell a feel. It's trying to sell a nostalgia. And with the the success of FF7's remastering here, it does open the door. It opens the door for the Uncharted series. It opens the door for the Mass Effect series, Dragon Age. It opens the door for Metal Gear Solid. It opens the door for all of these classic series. Resident Evil would be an amazing one to go back and remake with modern day polish and keep a lot of those same elements that made the old game so popular. You go back and you redo them. And I think that the impact that this could have is that not only do game companies stop trying to come up with new IPs, but they start, they, they stop entirely trying to make new games and they try and make old games better. And as a fan of some really, really good older games, I'm super intrigued by this. What if they wanted to go back and redo and, and I guess they already kind of did. So maybe they wouldn't do this one, but like a shadow of the Colossus, like remaster that, right? Like hone it, polish it with modern day game development and make it even better. You could make a better version of what was already a phenomenal game. If you just went back, would people buy it? Yes. Of course they would because we all suck and we all just want <laughs> more money into happy memories. That's I agree with you in part, but that concept is also extremely concerning to me because while new IPs are certainly a risk when it comes to financial ability. A flood of remakes... It, I'm going to feel the same way I feel about going to the movies now. Like, oh man, they remade Spider-Man again, again, again. I just cannot care about it again. I, I'm i over well, it at a certain point, and I want Spider-Man something and fresh Batman and have new. Had three separate, like, or three or four separate like franchise swings. We're talking about like... There's like 12 of those things. Right, but that's what... I can totally understand that level of fatigue where you're like... And, and like I'm saying, this is fine now, and if it brings a wave of this, great. But when the second wave hits, when the third wave hits, when they keep pushing it, that's where I'm going to struggle with it. Well, and that's fine. When it gets to the point of diminishing returns, you're also going to likely reach the point of diminishing quality, and that's okay. That means that the way that you send that message is that we stop spending money on it. But if FF7 remaster leads to uh, a remastering, even Bioshock 1, getting to redo that and updating that with modern graphics and, and fine-tune some of the gameplay, but, but otherwise leave all the atmospheric stuff that made it so incredible and just make a better version of what was already a, an all-time classic game, I'm fine with that. I can't guarantee you I'll pay $60 for very many of them. But that may be where you consider saying, hey, we're going to charge $40 for this instead. All right. So what you're saying is tune in next month for the remastered version of this podcast with better internet connections and higher quality cameras. Love it. 100%. Let me before for the low low price of fifteen dollars <laughs> of more than it was before. Um, let me let me throw one more game at you because I'd mentioned obviously Square going back and doing other Final Fantasies, which I think now is very much on the table once they get through with the seven stuff. Please six, give me a three D version of six. Hundred percent. But there's another game on that system from that era of theirs that I think better fits into what you were just talking about, and they've had this issue for years. They created a kind of sequel to Chrono Trigger, and I love that game, but it's not Chrono Trigger. You can't make a sequel to it. You can't extend it. Some people are never going to get to experience those characters and that story and that world because they just can't do Super Nintendo graphics. Bring Chrono Trigger into the modern world print money i've 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 said this i've made that argument for earthbound too 100 clean up the first five hours of earthbound so that it's not the slowest game of all time and 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 reimagine that and you would have one of the all-time great and weird 
uh, RPGs uh, ever. It'd be amazing. That and this is where I think Rudo is is right in that it would. Okay, great. Now we've done. Now we've done Chrono Trigger. Now we've done Earthbound. Now we've done Final Fantasy VI. Like, what's off limits at that point? No. Right. Then someone will remake. Yeah. When someone remakes Top Gear Rally, you know we've gone too far. Like. Done. No, right. we have not, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I miss that beach ball car that was super OP. <laughs> Faster than anything else? Uh-uh. <laughs> Bring that thing on down. Let's do it. Eternal Darkness. Sanity's Requiem. I'm telling there's so many good games. Oh, Eternal Darkness being remade would screw some people up. It'd be really twisted. And I, I want to say one thing, too, about what Rudo had mentioned here. Because I, I think there will always be people making new IPs and new content. Um, and, and I also think that... As long as people keep their creativity alive, like you said, like it's all about the the quality of the product. If the diminishing returns are there too, but like, adapting something else is difficult. I, I I love the Lion King example because they they just remade Lion King, right? But like Lion King itself is an adaptation of Hamlet, and so like it's always been funny to me that people were like, "You should never remake this thing. It was a totally original idea. It was great the way it was in 1993." It's like, no, they totally and completely ripped off this other story. They just made a lot more changes from Hamlet to Lion King than from Lion King to Lion King remake, right? Those that's kind of the spectrum that you've got in terms of your recreating and readapting ideas. So you can remake old stuff and get super creative with it. And I hope that that is the legacy of Final Fantasy VII. Unfortunately, in the after the original, a bunch of people were like, let's make RPGs with a character that has spiky hair and a big sword and and that became kind of a thing rather than, you know, let's also talk about Tales series. Right, right. Instead of being like, you know, oh, it was really successful because the characters were so deep and the themes were so interesting and talked about life and death and love and whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, big hair, big sword. I mean, um, and I could see people taking away from this remake stuff rather than remake stuff with extreme creativity and intent. Yeah, it's I was not ever top of my class in English in school, so someone can correct me on this, but essentially you can boil down every single story to like four or five basic concepts, right? And right. I, it, I think the number is seven. But is it seven? Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 And, but, so, if you want to simplify it that much, sure, every story becomes the same. It's about those creative other things that you throw into the stories, like you were saying, Drew. Word. All right. Any final thoughts on any of this stuff? The game episodes, yeah. DLCs, remakes, you... remake great games with great talent and great intent, and that's it. And that's kind of the other thing is where the video game industry is in a unique position. FF Seven Remake was largely remade by the people who made the original. Uh, that's going to help. I think. Yeah. Do that where possible. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Agreed. Okay, we all agree. So we want to thank you for listening into this episode. Hope you'll continue to play WGT Golf with us, the most realistic free golf game loved by more than 20 million people around the world. You can play, uh, you can do closest to the hole if you suck at putting like the three of us do. You can play those. You can play all kinds of realistic, uh, <laughs> not, not just realistic, but actual real famous golf courses, including Pebble Beach, Beth Page, Black, St. Andrews, Bandon Dunes, Wolf Creek, and more. Uh, it's a whole lot of fun. You can find us on there. If you're in our lounge, uh, in the gamers lounge, you can come and challenge us. we got a tournament, guys, coming up this weekend. Is that right? Sunday. Soon? Yep. Sunday. Um, Sunday, Sunday. It's at uh, Saturday night at 8 p.m., but the and it'll end Sunday night at 8 p.m., but Sunday during the day is... It's a, it's a golf game. You know everyone's getting up at 5 a.m. to tee off. Straight up, man. Golf people are crazies. We'll all be there. Come swing at us. Uh, beat the three of us and lose to Patrick Lyons. I challenge you to beat Patrick Lyons. Uh, and, and if you haven't yet, check out our lounge. You can come talk to us and give us some ideas. Tell us what games you'd like us to review, what else you'd like to hear on the gaming podcast. In the meantime, hopefully you're just subscribing to the DNVR.com, following all of us, getting yourself some cool merchandise. And, uh, yeah, being awesome. For Rudo and AJ, I've been Drew Creaseman. 
and we will see you next time.